biggest thing is the ability to make an impact. From that moment onwards, we moved from being a brand that advertised to a brand that communicated. We collaborate with our clients and over time we try and get them to fire us. You must have to have really difficult conversations. I want to see no office wall. I want to see everything covered in ideas. There's so much data available that you can kind of get dazzled by it. And I have What the hell are you doing? <laughs> Hello, my name is Katie Sando and welcome to the Marketing Forum podcast. In this episode, we're joined by the wonderful Joanne Boyce. Joanne is an inclusivity marketing consultant. She runs her own business called Arima & Co, which delivers consultancy workshops and training. Joanne initially studied psychology and then was really interested in marketing, so decided to move into that space. She started off supporting small businesses with their social media, and when it came to making her own website, she struggled to find stock images that represented her. From there, the concept of Arima & Co was born. There is so much that us marketers, communicators and creatives can do to be more inclusive, from the language we use to the images and the context we create. I think this is a really important conversation. I'm really pleased that Joanne could join us and I really hope you enjoy. Hi, Joanne. Thank you so much for joining me on the Marketing Forum podcast. I'm really excited today to chat to you about Arima & Co and the work that you do um, through their company. But um, it'd be amazing to start off if you can just give us a bit of an overview of kind of, I guess, your, your journey so far. Oh, it starts in the, the, the long, long time ago, five years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I worked in recruitment and I wanted to switch from recruitment to marketing. Having a psychology degree, they kind of tell you at university, with psychology, you can do anything. So mm. you can go to any industry, which is a lie. Um, people require you to have experience, <laughs> um, which didn't happen. So I couldn't get into the sector but I had already started working with charities doing their social media marketing and just helping. And I was just like, why aren't small businesses doing this? I can fix the world. <laughs> um, and that was 2017. I found the Princess Trust and they helped me set up a business and a limited company, which was a lot more responsibility than oh, a freelance. <laughs> oh God, I, I've been fined. I've been fined. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where the day before I was meant to file is when I met my accountant. Yes. And they were like, oh, you've been running this how long? I was like, I thought I was a freelancer. Does, these things don't apply. They're like, no, 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 you're a corporation. <laughs> um, so that's when I started Social Detail back in 2017. And it solely started as social media marketing agency, me alone helping people. But a pattern kept happening. And it happened first with when I was trying to build my own website. Any business owner trying to build their own website, you want to do everything for free. Sure. So I was looking for free stock photos and the simplest of things I couldn't find. I wanted a pair of women's hands on a keyboard that looked like mine. So I'm dark skin. Couldn't find it. And right. I was baffled because I was just like, this is basic in terms of stock photography, hands on a keyboard. Yeah. Should be really basic. And I was complaining to a friend um, who runs TechSpark. And he was like, why don't you just do it? Why don't you just make the stock photo? And I was like, um, yes, I'm glad we can make it. But two, why do I have to? Yeah, he's missing the point with that comment. Yeah. But either way, we did end up making it. Um, we made a bunch of free stock photos, which featured different diverse founders from the Southwest. Um, and it got picked up by the BBC because they were also shocked that, you know, <laughs> had to do a whole project to get one photo. 
Uh, and that kind of started the trail for me. From that, every now and again, I would meet other marketers and they would ask me questions that I found a little bit curious about. A lot of my clients that I was working with at the time were Black organizations. So Black Girl Convention, the Black Southwest Network. And marketers would ask me questions about how are you managing to create content for them? Are you finding it quite difficult, quite limiting? And I'm just like, why would it be limiting? It's content for a target audience. And it made me realize that their perception of anything that specified black in front of it was niche. Right. So I was like, okay, this is a problem. Um, and I started to get projects along that lines, helping organizations target diverse audiences. But as I was helping them do that, I felt like I was teaching people marketing, but they just didn't see it. So fast forward um, about three years, so around 2019, I had the idea, I was like, the things that I'm doing for organizations should just be a thing. I should, they should be able to spot their website has language that's offensive or a campaign that's offensive. What if I made it into a product? And I applied for a research grant um, that was just at the start of COVID. And during that research grant, I looked at data bias and algorithmic bias and decided I also during that time because of COVID, my social media stuff went through the roof because everybody wanted to be online. And I ended up hating it because I did not. Yeah. <laughs> when it, it became, and I think this happens for a lot of people who create a hobby into a job, you start losing passion for it. I am really passionate about the data and analytics, how you can track someone from a post click and then to retarget. All of that was what I was loving, but COVID meant that I was getting clients that just wanted things pumped out and I wasn't able to do the same kind of things that I wanted to. Mm. So through my research, which was about the span of COVID a year, I looked into algorithmic bias, data bias, and how even if I'm helping clients put content out there, the algorithms on social platforms will not necessarily show the content because of certain, because it might have more women in it, it'll rank it lower. If it has darker skin individuals, I did a little quick test before Twitter swapped their cropping on images, where if it's a dark skinned woman, I saw this report. Yeah. So everyone was focused on men because they always do. And they were focused on very strong binary of white man against a black man. It was always cropped to the face of the white man. Yes. So I was like, okay, let me look into colorism. So I took all the models from the Fenty campaign because Rihanna, we love her. And I put them in images. And essentially Twitter would either always crop to the lighter skinned person or if they were closing shade, it would just crop to the middle white space. It wouldn't even pick a face. Wow. And I was like, wow. It wouldn't even, the algorithm wouldn't even pick yeah. a face. And there's various reasons. So all of that led me to wanting to do this. And I kind of started the mission of wanting to make inclusive marketing the industry standard and decided to completely shift the business, completely reposition, started studying data science, and decided to build a software called Include AI to help identify those things and help with the algorithmic bias. And that's how Arima came about end of last year. Whew, that's a journey. <laughs> We're going to yeah. have to wrap it there. Um, <laughs> no, end joking. of podcast. Yeah, end of podcast. No, joking. Um, oh, wow. I have so many questions. And oh, it's. I think it's absolutely fascinating and, uh, and equally horrifying in a way as well. 
You know, it's just, it's, it's mind-blowing, isn't it? That there's, um, I think we all hear about tech, tech bias and um, it's a really interesting, I work with software clients and it's always interesting to me um, that space, you know, just kind of like, how do you, how do you challenge it? And you know what, it, and I think it, now I wonder if this is kind of like the nugget as well around all of it is that you don't know it's their blind spot. They don't know what they don't know. They're not aware they're creating bias because they're not aware they have bias. And if you've got a room full of people working together who all the, look the same and think the same, of course you're going to create bias. And that's that's where I want my work to differentiate because a lot of the things like unconscious bias training and so forth, for me, I don't think they work. I think you need we need right. to flip it. We need to walk into the room and be like, okay, this room is full of white men. Let's talk about our biases before we start working. Yeah. Because like when you buy a car, when you have that car, you start spotting it everywhere. But if you don't have it or you don't mention it, you don't talk about it or you don't point it out at the start, you're only going to pick it up when you release the product to the world. So that's some of the workshops I do where I'm just like, okay, let's put all our cards on the table. This is about, and then this is where I can separate it from the marketing to general diversity inclusion. It's about the marketing. You may feel a way, but it's about the campaign. It's about the goals. Your personal emotions. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Might have to go read a book on that. You know, that's yeah. not me. <laughs> not a therapist. It's going to shift you in that direction on those ones. But in regards to this campaign, I am happy to be there to consult and say, hi, have you realized your campaigns for the past year have only represented light-skinned women? And you say you're marketing to all women. Here is disabled women that you haven't highlighted that could use your product. Here are dark-skinned women that could use your product. You haven't highlighted them. Let's talk about that. How, what process can we put in place to get that into your campaigns? Is there like a fundamental issue here as well, though, in that like that people therefore aren't even doing their marketing that well? Because if you're doing marketing really well and you you're not sitting down thinking I'm marketing to myself, you are thinking about the audience. And, you know, that's like, you know, when somebody looks at a design and they go, I don't like it because I don't like blue. And I'm like, OK, I don't care unless you are the target audience, which, sir, you are not. Um so is that kind of like, a, is that one of the things that you're having to remind people? This isn't about you. Yes, a lot of the time. And sometimes I chuckle to myself because I have five years experience in marketing. There are people who've been in it for decades. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we want your insight. We want to know, like with the example of the word BAME and using that as an acronym. Right. When I speak to copywriters, I'm like, what's the first couple of rules of acronyms? You spell it out. So why are you using it in the headline? Why are you using it as the first thing and you haven't spelled it out? Secondly, is your target audience searching BAME? Yeah, no. Not. no. <laughs> so when I point these things out, they kind of assume I'm going to come with this huge insight about diversity and inclusion. I'm like, no, I'm coming back to the basis of marketing. Yeah. I'm just helping you remove mm. that. That's smart. This is smart. We like <laughs> this, Joanne. Tell me then, so so I was going to ask you around how like, so Arima Co evolved, but basically this came from your personal experience and, and really noticing that that gap. Mm -hmm. Do you see it as it being a, a gap in the market or was it more that you saw it as a, you know, a challenge that you almost had like a personal mission to solve? I, I kind of see it like a hiccup. So yeah. kind of going back to, and I use the example of psychology, 
what we got taught was that originally psychology was set up to bring someone from one place to another place. And over the years, it got explained that, no, if you're a minus 10, we're going to bring you to zero. And then that's how a lot of people up until quite recently actually viewed therapy. You have to be absolutely dire yeah. to do it. <laughs> but really, it's meant even if you're a two, it can take you to a five. Yeah. So I kind of feel like I'm going back to it just being marketing. I just want to like get people to be like, hey, if you're creating a persona, have a conversation about skin tone. It's not, you don't need to bring in the HR person to do that. It, it's okay. That's still marketing. It's still, and that's why my mission is so much on the whole industry needs to be updated. Ideally in a perfect world, I would not be needed. And I would just go on and just, I don't know, grow plants or something. <laughs> <laughs> But the whole industry from the how we tell people to target and segment audiences and really kind of pick that apart and understand that over the years, because things have been majority led by white men, certain basic things that we should do are not being done. Do you find then when you're engaging with uh, clients or potential clients or whatever, is there a kind of fear around this? Is there a kind of like, oh, do you know what? I don't it's a difficult conversation. We're nervous about having it. Very much. I, so one of the things that the biggest myths with clients is that they need a diverse team to do inclusive marketing and you don't, it would help if, if you're doing it in regards to recruitment and it will help with your content ideas in your generation, but you can create inclusive content as long as you're willing to talk about the biases within the team and willing to talk to your customers. Cause again, it's not about your opinions, it's about the target audience. Um, so that's one of the biggest things that they have fears about. And also, I think the fears are quite valid in regards, especially to B2C um, businesses, because we're held accountable on the internet and social media very quickly. Yeah. And it can lead to not wanting to do anything. But I feel that if that's your fear, that you don't want to take a risk, quote unquote, it's going to catch up with you in a couple of years because the generations coming are checking the history record. They're looking and they're like, you didn't say anything. You didn't mention anything. You have no policies on your website. You have nothing. So silence is no longer okay. Yeah, so, you can't just ignore it. You need to, if you see it as a risk, I would probably say assess why that is. Um, and I think a lot of businesses have to go through different stages of diversity and inclusion before they can get to the marketing point. Because... Sure. If you haven't talked about it at all about you in your company, if you've never had a company conversation about the representation, if you've never said, hey, these are things we're putting in place, if it gets questioned in your marketing, the marketing team has nothing to back it up with. Yeah, I mean, this is quite, <laughs> you're stumbling onto one of the, to the things that I come across a lot in my work because mm -hmm. I'm a marketing consultant, but mainly on the business growth business challenge side. So it tends to be in the commercial you know, we're at point A, how do we get to point B? Well, how does that translate into marketing? And um, I'm always saying, you know, marketing cannot drive this growth. You know, this is not a question of like, oh, we need more sales. This is a question of operationally, you have to, we have to be able to be accurate. So you have, we have to be able to deliver what we're saying. So you mm -hmm. can't be like, oh, our marketing is really inclusive. And then actually the, the product's not fit for, for, for purpose or the service is, I don't know, fundamentally sexist. You know, you can't think, it's true, isn't it? You can't yeah. do one without the other. 
And that's why it always comes back to the company values. And I feel that we're going through a process now where company values used to be kind of cheesy, used to be the thing that everyone just had. Yeah. But now people are being held accountable on it. And yeah. for we had a client that was a games company and they were talking about how to make their games more inclusive and the marketing team wanted to market it. And they were going through this data cycle where they were only getting the same types of people downloading the game because they were putting out content that was illustrated within the game. So I kind of came in, I was like, well, if you illustrate different content, the marketing team can target different people. And they had to have that difficult conversation of, okay, so we're going to push back as a marketing team because we want to do this. And you guys need to tell us how, what do you need from us? Do you need to know the certain demographics? Do you need to know the certain um, skin tones that we're looking for? What do you need from us as a marketing team so we can change the data? And vice versa, what does the game team need to understand about, you know, who are we creating for? So I think it needs a lot more internal conversations than probably we're used to. Mm. It's the classic case where um, people think it's a marketing problem and it's a product problem. Mm -hmm. You know, the issue here isn't that um, the marketing's not good enough. It's that the product's not appropriate to speak to a broad audience. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is what I've told clients in the past, especially when it came to the murder of George Floyd in 2020, I had quite a few clients approach wanting to say something and I had to be quite frank and say, I don't think you should. No, they've got no place. You've got, you've got nothing. And if you're saying it just for the sake of the time, don't. If, if the, if you're as a marketing team, you're receiving leadership saying, oh, we should say something because X, Y, and Z push back and be like, okay, we'd love to put a message out, but could you give us the support that the company's doing in regards to that? Mm. And giving that ownership and kind of giving them examples as well that, you know, if someone comments under this post, I want to have a link on our website that can say, here's, here's our policy on it. Mm. Um, and it can take a little bit longer on that, but in terms of products where they sometimes do consider it in the design, but that doesn't filter through. Because I've right. been in, um, the inclusive design movement has been happening way long before inclu- um, inclusive marketing, because that was focused on accessibility. Microsoft has a lot of training information on that. And sometimes you'll see these products that have been designed very inclusively and the whole product development team had that conversation, but it never got to the marketing team. Right. They just got the product and then they all implied their own bias about how the product should be used and how it should be marketed not knowing the original design the data, and scope yeah. and research that went into it. When you look at the kind of, when the, the kind of consultancy that you do and the kind of, um, you know, workshops and training, etc. when you talk about inclusivity, do you mean, how do you approach that? Are you looking at that in the broadest sense? Like, a, you know, uh, looking at equality, diversity, inclusivity, sustainability, are you looking at that quite broadly or have you niched down? So I focus on race and culture, gender, and accessibility and disability. I separate the two because a lot of the times companies will approach accessibility, my website's accessible, but not have any disabled individuals represented in their content. And that filters also cross over to language. So in sustainability is an interesting one. Mm. But that's not where I go because it hasn't yet reached the intersectionality it needs to for it to be incorporated. A lot of companies are doing things like B Corp and doing these these processes because it's something they can complete and then just carry on. Sure. 
Whereas inclusive marketing and focusing on those areas is forever because your, your customers and your target audiences are changing, like different generations are coming in and out. It needs a lot more long-term and continuous input, I would say, not that sustainability doesn't, but in terms of the people and your team is always changing. Sure. Um, but I am also aware of my biases. I'm not a physically disabled individual. So whenever I step into a space, I know an organization might be approaching me because of race, but I want to make sure I advocate for disabled models, disabled influencers. And that's me using my privilege in those circumstances. Sure. So I try to make it as intersectional as possible within that area, um, but not broadening the whole DNA. No, yeah. I mean, I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? And it's like you say, it's difficult because um, I think what the work that you're doing is so needed. Um, and I think that it's great that you're able to also talk about accessibility as part of that. Um, so, but like you say, the sustain, for me, it's like there's a, a fundamental culture shift that's required. You can't just be like, tick. <laughs> You know, and, and like you said, it often stems back to the business needing to make fundamental changes. It's not just a marketing problem. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the times, another reason brands tend to, and um, companies tend to approach me is because they're trying to hire diverse talent. Right. And they will go through the process. They will do the removing CVs. They will have the boards. They'll have to split interviews of gender representation and they can't understand why a diverse audience sorry I, I try not to laugh when I say no, this so you know, I, even when you started saying this I was like I know what she's going to say <laughs> but they're putting their campaigns and the ads for these roles in the same places I know year in year out and sometimes they look at me in disbelief and I'm just like you know whatever audience you're trying to recruit from there is a niche group that you can engage with long term not just you can pay them to post one job but you can actually have an engagement with those communities and recruit from them and even yeah. more so that we're remote worst response i've heard was oh yeah we're just gonna you know advertise the job because it's remote in like india and then in, in ghana and, and i was just like but the the people are here the diverse yeah i my i hate when people say it's a numbers issue it's do you know, I, I, like I say, I knew you were going to say it and I've had this myself when helping um, recruit and people turn around and they're like accusative and they're like, well, we put it out there and we didn't get the application. So it's going to this, you know, middle-aged white man. And you're just thinking, I just don't understand how you can think that this is a market problem, that people are like, yep, it's my fault. I didn't see it but it's because you didn't show it to me. <laughs> and I think, oh, it's so irritating, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And it's the other aspect as well. I know whenever I've gone um, to a job or before I go work somewhere, I look at a website. I look mm. at it and you're just trying to figure out. And there's simple aspects. Like I've had clients brag about how they care about the company's mental health and all their employees get study days and so forth. And I was like, I can't find that on your website. Mm. I have no idea that you talk about that. So if I'm a neurodiverse and neurotypical person, what, how am I going to know that until I get into the company? And by that, I'm risking it. Yeah. And that's that's on a, in terms of things that people could do, that's something that a lot of companies have implemented during COVID, but don't talk about. To the other spectrum, I've had a client who was very proud of their gender representation in their team. 
and 50-50. But once we conducted an audit on their content and their marketing, it was 90% male representation. So you might have, you have you have the employees and the teams you can highlight and put out there because that's another reason. I'm, I keep feel like I'm chucking up everyone's excuses, but <laughs> it's a reason they say, oh, our team is only this, so we can only represent X. But there's a lot of ways to highlight different individuals. There's ways to highlight people who are doing changes in the industry. There's ways to highlight people you admire. There's a lot of ways to, to put visual representation out there. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. One of the things that I think is I've seen and I'm interested in your take on it is tokenism, mm -hmm. um, whereby if uh, in the main there isn't a lot of diversity in a company and people sort of are looking, they're like, OK, I need to be diverse. I need to rep you know, represent diversity. And so they're almost pulling people like the, the minimal diversity they might have, they're pulling out. And um, my understanding is that actually that's fundamentally racist. Um, do you see that a lot? I see it a lot. And I think I like I stray away from the Women's History Month and the Black History Month. I, they're important and they're needed. But for companies, and I, I always say this, I love I would love for a brand, a huge B2C brand or B2B to take those months to highlight what they've done throughout the year. Yeah. That's what I think those months should be done for companies, not to go find your one or two employees and just highlight them. Yeah. Did you Talk see the Twitter the bot? Yes, <laughs> I absolutely love that bot. And but it was wasn't a missed that opportunity. an example? So uh, for anyone who hasn't seen the bot, there was a bot that was developed, I can't remember the woman's name actually, that highlighted the gender pay gap and it retweeted any posts about the gender pay, about International Women's Day by a company saying what their gender pay gap was. That was a huge missed opportunity for some companies. Even if your pay gap is bad, as a company, you, sh you should be able to state under it, this is what we're doing. A company yeah. that I, I admire, because even their stats are bad, but they're clear with it, is Buffer, the scheduling tool. Sure. They have a diversity dashboard. And I looked right. at it recently. A couple of years ago, you would filter it out for like leadership. It would be all white male, straight. Like, But they published it. And I rather they publish it so I can see it and see the efforts over the years. And I know that you're not trying to hide anything from me. Yeah. And I think with the bot, a lot of companies missed the opportunity to be like, yes, this was last year. We're working on it. They deleted their tweets. I'm like, why? Well, you could have. But I think, I think it evidences your point so well because the reason that bot had such impact is because people use those days and those months wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not about uh, pretending that you're you're not in the place that you are, is it? it? Like you say, if they if you were to use International Women's Day, International Women's Month, Black History Month to talk about like the, the changes that you've made and what, you know, whatever. But they don't. People don't use them like that. And it's, it's a disappointing opportunity. It's we decided to focus on for Women's History Month period campaigns and the history of how period campaigns have like changed every year so that was still on track for us it's still mm -hmm. we would have done a, a thing about periods and we just shifted that to that month and kind of some of the, the campaigns that happened back in the day were <laughs> even when I was growing up you just made me think then I just remember some of the ones when we were you know like as a kid when you see them on tv and stuff it is I I could not imagine my job in the 60s 
I, <laughs> I probably would have given up in the first month. You'd be so busy though. It, it, it was just being like, they were publishing newspaper articles of women with their legs open and a fish hanging out from it to advertise tampons. Oh my God. Yes. That was a legit, like, and oh, of course a woman could use a tampon even if she's unmarried. Like, what? Do you know what, though? This is an absolute classic, isn't it? That's because who were the guys doing the advertising in the 80s? Mm-hmm. It was, and like, all these, old, like, white blokes in a room. Yeah. With white, you know, oh. And to go back to my further point, that was the base, and that was the benchmark for improving. So then when we get the ads, like, of recent, we've been having a few better ads, but a couple of years ago, the majority of the ads were, like, blue blood. It's like, ooh, we're showing you blue liquids. Because yes. women are aliens, you know? They bleed once a month, but it's blue. It's like, what? What? Yeah. It used to look like washing up liquid. And, oh, they're <laughs> going to run and play tennis and sports and, you know? And that how confusing that could be, not only for a young woman looking at that, but for individuals who don't have periods thinking, oh, this is what it should be like. I should be running out and doing all these things. Yeah. And actually, we're all, we're all just, like, lying on the floor trying not to cry. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the new period campaigns and movements now are looking at that reality of it. It's like, actually, no, let's make an ad that's relatable to the people buying it. Yeah. Which for some reason is revolutionary. I remember when that tennis player, she lost a match. And I can't remember if you remember this. And it was a couple of years ago. It must have been longer than that, actually. And in the press conference, they said, you know, like, what was up with you today? And she was like, women's stuff. And at the time, it was like groundbreaking. It was like, finally, somebody has acknowledged that you might not be operating at full physical and emotional and et cetera capacity. But that was like the first time I'd ever heard anyone acknowledge that your body makes things really hard sometimes. Because mm-hmm. yeah. through the marketing, we've been trained not to. I know. We've got a lot to answer for, haven't we? Why did you want to get into marketing? <laughs> but also um one of my biggest kind of dreams and it's semi-twisted i would love to see um coca-cola's data research for all their campaigns across the globe because they've been running campaigns for so long in so many countries that data set must be oh, the nerding me is like excited by it like the fact that they not 100 haven't fact checked this but they changed um Santa Claus from green to red. Yeah. I'm just like, do you, the, the ability, again, this could be used for evil and it has been, but it's still a beautiful thing in a kind of... The from a brand of, power perspective. Yeah. Mm. But also I, it is kind of evil as well. But, but that's though sometimes why I get frustrated with those big, big brands and the media because they've got the, they have got the power and they don't recognise that they should be using it for good. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the ability to change culture. Do it. And they just, they, they do it when it hits their pocket. Yeah. But, I and that's, so going back to your question about the tokenism, um, for me, I think as a company, when you first do something, especially if it's a shift in your industry, it's going to feel tokenistic. I feel that look at what your customers are feeding back, look at what the audience is responding to it and keep shifting like you would with any other idea and then just integrate it into everything you're doing. So if it's the first time you're putting out illustrations, which has representation of darker skin tones or representation of individuals that are not in your team, see what the customer is responding to it. See if there's any kind of engagement 
and just keep filtering it in. Um, But just don't do one campaign and run. Spoon feed it across the year. Is there also like on the same kind of vein, a a point where, you know, you don't want to be, so whether you're darker skinned or whether you are non-binary or, or you don't want to be talking on behalf of an entire people just because you're the only person in a business that is, um, doesn't look the same as everyone else or doesn't, isn't the same as everyone else, whatever, what from in whatever capacity, surely that's another area that's quite difficult. I think businesses maybe want to do the right thing, but they accidentally end up doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So something that happens with me often at conferences is I'll get photographed a lot. So I would call that the tokenism thing, mm-hmm. right? And depending on the type of person, like if it's a conference that is, um, they notice that the people running it will have a conversation with me and be like, my, I've told my photographer not to do that. If it's uncomfortable, let me know. Or they will have a conversation, but this is rare. Normally, sure. I only find out I've been photographed a lot because they're then using my pictures in their campaigns and so forth. And then I'm like, you haven't had that conversation. For me, the difference is, and I, it's hard for me to speak on that directly because I haven't worked in a company for such a long time. I've worked myself. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> for me, it's like, oh, use my photo, but tag my company in my name, please. <laughs> but as an employee, I think, and this is where I go back to mentioning the biases and bringing it to the table, have the conversations. Sure. Have the conversations. Don't just, if someone mentions that there's an issue or lack of diversity, don't assume that they want to take that on as a responsibility. No. Don't assume they're going to want to be in every campaign. Have as uncomfortable as that conversation is, have it. And they are allowed to, from whatever marginalized background, say no to you. Yeah. Cause it's actually not their problem. Mm-hmm. It's the company's problem. Exactly. And the company has resources to hire individuals like myself, hire models, hire influencers. Yeah. You can pay people to, to help market your stuff. It's, it's like, that's what we do. Again, going back to the basics of marketing. If you haven't yeah. got, if you're a B2C product and you're used to using either team members or people to like advertise certain things, start working with influencers. Specifically, mm-hmm. there's organizations out there that specifically have networks of diverse influencers. There's modern agencies that specifically have models with uh, phys- um, visible disabilities. There's places that you can go, but you, a lot of the time, they don't want to because employees for proportional material is free. Yeah, and then I would be saying, if that's an issue that you're having, you need to address your recruitment diversity issue. Like if you've literally only got one type of person in your business it's strategically such a poor idea anyway mm-hmm. um it's just not good business anymore and if that person leaves remove them from your marketing this is another big one people yeah so what i wanted to really pick your brains around was if so marketers listening communicators listening creatives listening where do they start like so if if they are looking to build on the inclusivity in terms of their marketing and how they think about it where do you suggest people start and then maybe where they then go I suggest start looking at your network and looking where you get inspiration from and if you see a trend that either all the influencers you look to all the thought leaders you look to look a similar way find someone else 
that's the easiest and simplest way to start and start to diversify the things you consume. Because at the end of the day, marketers, we're all creators, we get inspired and that's where ideas come from. So that's probably the easiest way to start something that would be long-term, but I specify, find people that are in your sector, in, in, in your industry. Something that happened after 2020 was a lot of influencers got huge followers that weren't interested in what they were actually doing. And that affects their rates and their, their stats. So find someone in your sector that is different to you and engage with their content because it's related to find a copywriter that may be disabled or maybe from a black background because they're going to write about copywriting. Mm. Um, and then where they go from there, there are many courses and so forth that companies are putting out. There's a good one by Salesforce that takes about an hour or two to give you some of the basis. Um, there's obviously resources that we publish as well. Sure. Um, and workshops we do for marketing teams. And where you go from that is starting to look at how you can share the ownership. If you're in a team, share the ownership across the team, bring the conversation in and start to get the ball rolling with people starting to feel like they can say that something doesn't look right or feel right. And then that's probably after that conversation has started where I would either go in as a consultant and help them really look at their content. But at first you need to have it where if you're in a team, people are ready to actually speak up about something they may have noticed. Uh, a lot of the time, especially if it's a last minute campaign or content or copy, it's very fast. It's very, get it out the door. But you can have those conversations in hindsight as well. Or if you have a social media team that are saying, hey, we got negative feedback on that. Take that in, have a meeting, have a conversation about it is the first step. The long-term step and the work I focus on is putting the systems and processes in place. So for um, one of our clients, we helped review their um, briefing document that they send to agencies when they're requesting certain influences and certain models. And we specifically put things in there that will make them ask for diversity because that is a that is a process you have in place that you're asking someone else to do work. And if you don't state it, they're not going to do it. They're going to fall into their own habits. So that's where we focus on what's the process that we can help you. So this is long term and feasible for you to do. Mm. Is there, it sounds to me like there's a combination of uh, internal kind of, I suppose, like almost like benchmarking, a bit of auditing around, you know, what uh, biases do we hold as individuals that are influencing what we think or how we think this should be marketed? <laughs> and then there's almost simultaneously an audience piece, which is around. So, for example, with one of my clients, we did some work around who, um, where we'd been getting sales leads for, uh, from, like who the individuals were that were approaching the company. And um, within a 12 month period, only one was a non-white male. Mm -hmm. Um, and our reaction was like, Jesus, <laughs> you know, basically, so it's a, from a, a, a company perspective, it was fascinating to me that what they'd been doing, as you'd, you've said already, like what they're doing there is they're just talking to one audience and that's why they're only getting a response from one audience. Mm -hmm. And so it was, um, you know, the... I think that kind of scenario where you're thinking, you know, we need to broaden this audience from, for so many different reasons. Um, but starting, I suppose, with internal bias, but also looking at then 
the external bias, like what you're putting out. Mm-hmm. So, so looking okay. at, so one of the things that we do is a digital audit where we look at what, what you think, because it's always different, what we think the company looks like and how people perceive it versus how it's perceived by the public. It always has some misconnections, especially when you're looking at communities that you're not normally engaging with. So having that benchmark is then where you can go from from there. The internal aspects are, okay, what is feasible for us to do? But the external aspects, as well as understanding how people perceive you, is understanding the industries you're targeting to Mm -hmm. and setting your goals based on the data that is there. So one of our clients markets specifically for companies in the gaming sector, and they realized a lot of the companies and the campaigns they're putting out was majority male. So they then looked into, okay, what is happening in that sector that we can use as data and stats for us? So they saw organizations that were specifically looking at people of color in gaming and women in gaming and started to highlight and promote that organization's content to not necessarily make it themselves, but because they were aligning themselves and they were uplifting and other organizations doing it, it changed the perception of people coming to them. Because like, oh, you guys, your values actually believing this. You're, you're showing it, you're saying it, you're willing to, lack of a better frame, walk down the street and hold this person's hand. Yeah. So as an external, we're like, okay, now we know something. And now even sure. clients that they had in the past were now asking them, hey, can we talk about this? And one of the main things I say with this is, yes, it's the good thing to do, but it's also the business thing to do. A hundred percent. You know, it's not, diversity isn't like um, any of the inclusion piece. It, it It's no longer a nice to have. Like, it's not like a, oh, you know, it's a fluffy thing. No way. Like like you said earlier, younger generations coming through, they, they want this. They want to understand that what you do is for them. Mm-hmm. They want to know that, they're being represented and they want to be able to question you and you have an answer. Sure. That communication, communication has changed where no one is expecting to not speak to someone in any organization. If you look at some brands that have taken that fully, like Innocent or Wendy's in America, where their Twitter cons, it might as well just be one person having jokes, but it works because it's relatable. Mm. No longer are you coming from the corporate company head. Um, so yeah, brands need to need to think about that. Masters need to think about how how can that happen in an inclusive way, and what steps and processes they need to take to make that. Mm. Oh, I was just about to say something. It's gone from the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> it was right there. Oh man, I bet it was going to be like the best thing as well that you were going to say. The, 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 the nice icing on the cake situation. But oh, that was it. In regards to marketers who are doing it solo. Mm. I would say there are many steps you can do for yourself that will help make this whole process. So if you're using stock photos, think about who's represented in it. If you are the sole person in your content, but you do some people like highlight industry experts, think about who you're highlighting. Just there's things you can do that aren't going to be the big splashy campaign that are just educating yourself. Like what podcasts are you listening to and what types of marketers are you listening to and take stock of that Mm. but it's also so from what you said earlier as well it's about not doing that at a superficial level so it's not like having loads of photos of loads of diverse happy people and then the reality is that behind the door actually um you know it's all one-dimensional it's it's about changing both right Mm -hmm. 
But yeah. the, the the difference I mentioned it is more internal for the, the soul marketer is because budget, time, the reality of things, and a lot of times you are either promoting yourself and your services. I see what you mean. Right, you mean, yeah, okay. Like the one man, oh God, that's <laughs> I think one man band. It's so integrated in our language. And to think how integrated it is, as the individuals, we're not even representing ourselves in our language. I know. I said man up the other day. I know. Ooh, can, I, can I swear? Is that a thing? Oh, yeah, it's fine on here. What I've been loving is TikTok is going off on big clit energy. And I'm just right. like... <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> I can get with this. I would love that to just be the... I want that to be as common as the way we use the word dick. Because dick is a nickname. I still find that baffling. Mm, that dick sure. is a nickname it's been commonized so <sighs> you mean from richard yeah mm. yeah I, but i did have to say to like, you um, i said to my colleague the other day she made a comment on something and i was like you can't swing a vagina <laughs> <laughs> those are the little things like i feel like sometimes with this work it can seem like oh this is a big task but no it's just in your everyday or if you're like everyday little things and it, it can be light as well it can be like oh no yeah I think I think you know and I think I just represented that really excellently this idea of you know the first problem is probably yourself isn't it it's like you know you've got to like you said it's little things and it's easy to let it slip but actually if we don't change our language we're not changing the way we think about it we're not changing the way it represents to other people and it just becomes acceptable it com- becomes acceptable for do you know, I, I was on a course the other day and it was on leadership and all of the images were white men mm-hmm. all the way through white men, white men, all the references, white men. And in the feedback I did, you know, I said to them, like, if you're um, anybody who isn't a white man and you're sat there already, society tells you that leadership isn't for you. And then the course on leadership is all about white men in leadership. You're basically reinforcing something that's already being said but you know it blows my mind the academic level this is Mm -hmm. still happening and it's the scale of the impact you have by you sending that in the feedback it's a grain and it but it could have a ball a snowball effect and that's what I mean it doesn't have to be this huge momentum of a (laughs) decolonizing um but yeah there's there's work being done I've I've had individuals in my life talk about decolonizing their whole life and I'm like that's a big taking on that's a big task but on the simple side of things like I remember I had a conversation with someone around pronouns and like if you fuck up someone's pronouns correct yourself and carry on yeah but because we're taught these things are so big we're always like oh no sorry (laughs) yeah it's correct yourself do better carry on it happens with my name as well where people call me Joyce or Joanna which of names that are difficult my names is literally two names put together yeah um but it would be this whole apology and then it would center, especially if it's in a public circumstance, it would center me as the problem, me interrupting the schedule. Correct yourself and carry on. And if you can apply that to marketing as well, you yeah. put out a campaign, you correct yourself, you do better. Dove has done yeah. better from some campaigns they put out. Pepsi, not so much, but it's, it's, it's the human part of it. We're still humans at the end of the day. Yeah, no, that's good advice. I think it's funny with the name thing. Um, I was literally with my friend a couple of days ago and um, she's got a 
Lithuanian surname. And um, the, there was a bloke and he handed her a thing. He goes, I'll say your first name, but I'm not saying your second name. And I was like, it's not funny. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, it, you know, it's okay. It's totally acceptable to say, how can, how do you pronounce that? Please, can you, you know, I don't speak Lithuanian and I don't know, you know, it's, it, what's not okay is to joke about it and just avoid. It's, um, it's disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've been trained to do. And goes back to the. (laughs) But this is the this is where I see the momentum and going back to the whole Coca Cola thing. If Coca Cola could shift Santa Claus from being green to red, and we all have recollection of a red Santa Claus, we can and we will. It would be the death of me if we don't. It would be my life's work. Shift language and marketing to be inclusive, which will then, in part, not fully, help shift society. Mm. Yeah. Are you feeling optimistic? Yes, but mostly because of the tech that I'm I'm doing. That okay, cool. <laughs> I'm just like forget the people. I just want the, <laughs> I want the AI. To do it. <laughs> <laughs> I want the AI to do it. But no, I am optimistic. I am seeing a shift. I'm seeing a change, especially in the generations coming up. I'm seeing things happening outside of the the um, hashtag months, which is what makes me happy. I'm seeing brands make it part of their ethos and value. As I mentioned, we recently focused on period campaigns and the period panties that are coming about. And they're like, no, we're making period panties for all bodies, all shapes, all sizes, all women. And even a shift from using women or feminine products to using period products is including trans men. And it's happening. I might be super deep in it, which is why I'm so optimistic and I don't see all the bigger, (laughs) the 90% of community that's not doing it. But yeah, I'm hopeful. I wanted to finish just by asking you a bit about your own personal experience. So, um, just in terms of, uh, I guess, your personal journey around this stuff, uh, confidence, mindset, um, whether or not you've had to, um, you know, like you went from recruitment, you obviously were driven to move into marketing. I'm always really interested to understand, I guess, it's like chipping away at the kind of idea that um, people who are doing their thing, that it's easy. And so Mm. I just always want people to share their own journey, like the challenges they face, but also how they've overcome them. Because I think, you know, it's it's not easy, is it? Um, 90% of the time, I feel like I am talking a foreign language. (laughs) It is not easy. It is literally the other thing as well. I've been doing this for a hot minute. That piece with the BBC came out in 2018 and people are now starting to talk about it and inclusive lang- inclusive marketing is becoming a search term in Google Trends and I'm just like oh huh everyone's talking about it now huh? I've been going on and <laughs> <laughs> it it is difficult but there's two things I know that are a point of privilege for me um, my early childhood was spent in the Caribbean in Trinidad um, so I was there until the age of nine and one of the main things my mom and I always know is that we didn't realize we were black until we came to England. Because in Trinidad, we were middle class, which is something I only recently learned through therapy as well. <laughs> because you get taught again by the media, I, I got taught that, you know, if I come from a foreign land, I'm, I'm an immigrant, I struggled and all these things. Right. Like immigration means you were poor. Yes. But when I hear immigration stories in the media, I don't relate to it. Right. My grandmother had a driver 
and we barely walked anywhere. Uh, but yeah. I'm not, I wasn't growing up in my teenage years. I wasn't allowed to say those things because they would want you to think I'm lying or it was unacceptable for me as a black woman to have that life. Sure. So, but having that period of time in Trinidad and Trinidad being a, such a multicultural country. So we had obviously the immigration from slavery and then we had Indian arrival and then there's a strong um, Chinese community there. So everyone's a mixture of everything. There is still a racial divide in Trinidad, but the racial divide is more so around um, African, African Caribbeans and Indian Caribbeans. Right. So I grew up in a space where white wasn't the central focus. I grew up in a space where TV anchors were darker skin and women, yeah. where prime minister was a woman. And I kind of noticed because I know that's feasible, when I talk about it here, it's so far of a concept to the people I'm talking to. I didn't realize that I had that privilege of, oh no, this, this could be a reality. Mm. I can see it, but no one else can. And that's why sometimes I feel like I am talking a foreign language. Cause I'm like, no, this is, yeah. Why, why are we celebrating a news anchor? That, that's possible. It's feasible. It can happen. Um, but that can make the journey very lonely. It can make, mm. or even as when you have a team, the way I see things and from being a social media manager and being solo, you develop skills in everything. <laughs> so I will have feedback from my team on things that one minute will range from, oh, this, this language that you've written here is not inclusive to the spacing in this graphic is not, is not accessible. And I'm jumping through all these different brains and these different um, skill sets, uh, which can lead to that imposter syndrome. I remember for a while, I felt that because I did not have a marketing degree or I didn't work in an agency, I don't know about marketing. Mm. Part of something that's a good and a bad thing, whenever I feel like I don't understand something, I immerse myself in that community. So what I went and did was join a lot of marketing communities. I wanted to be around people. And that's when I started to realize, actually, I know almost as much. I might not be an expert like SEO. I can, <laughs> I could do the top level, but yeah. there are experts and it's understanding where I have my expertise in. hundred percent. And particularly because marketing is so bloody broad, like it literally is everything now. And so I'm always like, oh no, I don't do any of, I'm super clear on where I am. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to be, you have to, you, you know, you're not going to be, you're either going to be a master of none if you try and do it all. And I'm now realizing, I don't even know if there's a term for it or whatever, I can see something and see a way to make it inclusive. Any campaign, any business. And sometimes I feel like, you know, in the movies, you see those spider webs where ideas are just bouncing off. Give me any company. It could be the most dry. One of my original clients was a frame shop. I was posting content about picture frames and I found a way to make that inclusive. <laughs> there's always a way and I, I realized that was my skill I had these little grains of knowledge everywhere I had my in-depth expertise on social media but the reason I have all these grains is because I can then apply what I'm in-depth in which is that inclusive marketing across the board yeah I think sometimes as well it's like you know when you you look at the paths that you've taken in life and at the time you're like god why am I doing this it feels really weird and then one day they all just cross and you're like, oh, 
Yeah. Like it makes sense. Like I'm so glad I had that experience, that experience and that experience because now I'm able to deliver this. And um, yeah, I think that's why you, I, I don't know. Like, do you think, think you have to have faith in the journey sometimes? Definitely. And the journey. So I was going to, the plan was I was going to be a clinical psychologist. That was the plan. That was the mission. I was stuck between being a creative physically making things. So I studied <laughs> my A-levels is so confusing. I had fashion and textiles, sociology, psychology. Sure. Split personality. <laughs> I would be going to these sociology, psychology classes covered in paint. And that was a defining moment for me where I almost didn't go down the psychology route because that's when I found out I was dyslexic. Right. And my teacher said to me, you know all the answers, but you're getting, you're failing all the tests. So I dropped, I didn't do the second year of that. And I did the art and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to sell stuff. Got my first client to sell and make something to probably at the age of like 17, hated it. Mm. She, and I remember it firmly. She wanted me to reupholster chairs without reupholstering them. It was so frustrating. I'm like, is this what I'm going to have to do? Do things that don't make sense. <laughs> no, I can't, I can't do it. Um, and I just called it for university. I was like, hey, can I come to do psychology? And they said, yeah. And I'm, nice. So like, I have kind of given into the universe and it will show me what it will show me. Sometimes it's nuts. Like even I pushed back on doing inclusive marketing for a long time because the spaces I was in, I was majority either the only woman or the only black person. And I'm like, am I only doing this because I am that? Am I only doing it because of these spaces? Right. It's not until I saw how tech could be applied to it that I was like, oh, I have hope. I'll, I'll do it. If I ever get fed up of talking about it, I'll just go into the tech and then I'll, play, I'll be with my data and not the feelings. <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting. How did you deal with the imposter syndrome? <laughs> uh, deal? Uh, hmm. <laughs> Suppress? Man manage. Sure. Therapy, yes. Advocate, huge, especially during coming out, I think, of lockdown. If you can afford it, there's affordable therapy services out there. Mm. Huge thing because we do not spend, we were not trained to spend that much time with ourselves. No, I always think as well, if people think they don't need therapy, it's really arrogant because I don't know, like there is no way that we have been given the tools to navigate this world and ourselves. Yeah. And the feelings of a thousand million people online every day. Sure. It wasn't, we were created to be in spaces around people and communities. And um, outside. Yeah, outside <laughs> in environments. And now we're, we're moving at humongous speeds of hearing. Um, I, part, I took part in the whole clubhouse boom. And that was an interesting experience of like, I can actually hear people's thought before they filter it through a tweet. Some of you shouldn't be saying these yeah. things. <laughs> oh, you're a braver woman than I. Ooh, I Clubhouse was interesting, but it was also kind of nice because I've always wanted, like when people ask what that superpower would be, I'd be like, oh, invisible. I want to be the fly on the wall. I want to be in the room and just hear what people are saying because I can only imagine what I imagine. Um, and that was a little bit, it was scary to go into some rooms but it was beautiful in another sense being able to connect to people in India and um, America talking about similar topics different 
no sleeping pattern, no time zone. <laughs> but yeah. going back to the imposter syndrome, I think I manage it. I hold space that I don't ever want to be the smartest person in a room. Oh, and 100%. if that's what I believe and that's what I want, when I'm in those rooms, it might feel like I shouldn't be there, but I'm there. So either have a glass of wine or just talk to someone interesting. Mm, definitely. I, I totally agree. Like, I, There's nothing more dangerous than always being the smartest person in the room because it, it just means you're stagnating. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't think imposter syndrome is always a bad thing. I think it can be... Um, you know, in much the same way that if you're nervous about something, then it can help you think through, uh, you know, like, okay, so if I'm worried about that, why am I worried about it? Oh, it's because I can do something about this. And I think it's the same thing with, you know, I don't know, part of it's like a social thing, isn't it? But with imposter syndrome, you can think like, okay, where am I lacking confidence? Is it because I'm not competent? How do I get competent? You know, you can do that kind of assessment. Yeah. mm. I think it's a balance between understanding where you're at and not necessarily the environment understanding where you're at in a skill level and appreciating okay i need to learn versus the environment is trying to tell you you don't know something yeah i, I feel like I, I don't know if i've got the right words for it but sometimes i've been in spaces where i'm talking to someone and i'm just like what are you saying I know this, but my mouth is not saying that I know it because I'm I'm feeling like I don't have the authority to say that. But there's other spaces where it's like, no, actually, I need to learn this. Let me, you know, it's okay to just be quiet and listen. I don't have to have an opinion on everything. I don't need to say anything. Yeah, there's been, it's always with white men, there's spaces where they'll be saying something. I'm like, you think I don't know this? You assumed I have no knowledge of this information. But it's not our it's not our problem. You know, we can't own mm-hmm. the fact that people, men, certain age, um, think that we don't know anything. Like they that the the issue there is theirs. Mm. And we wish them the best of luck. <laughs> Joanne, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us and your experience and just um provoke so much thought and I think I think it's so important what you're doing and I um you know I do think so many people have got so we'll get so much value from this conversation you know just even if it's like yep we're doing that that's cool or even if it's sort of you know your encouragement to just kind of get started and not be afraid to put out bad stats you know I think you know it's super valid and um thank you so much thanks for having me it's been great I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Marketing Forum podcast. If you are not already, please do like and subscribe. And you can follow us on social media or subscribe to our mailing list to find out more about episodes coming your way soon.